The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is God's word. It's everyone's worst nightmare to be locked out and completely naked. This was Neil's story told on an episode of the podcast, Snap Judgment. Neil was staying in the nicest hotel in town, the Ritz-Carlton, and as Neil was walking back to his hotel on the street, he was approached by a desperate man asking for directions, and the man said to him, do you know which way to the Ritz-Carlton? And Neil, being in a hurry and admittedly selfish, lies to the man's face and says, sorry, buddy, I don't know, not sure, and he keeps walking. Neil then arrives at the hotel and the hotel restaurant, and he enjoys way too many drinks with his co-workers, and he makes his way up to his hotel room late in the evening. And after showering and brushing his teeth, he opens and closes behind him the door of what he thought was the bathroom, only it wasn't the bathroom door that closed behind him. It was the door to his hotel room. And Neil is left standing naked in the hallway with no way back in. A nightmare, right? The only way back into that room was for someone else to help him because he didn't have anything to help himself. It's late, so Neil decides to risk hopping on the elevator from the 21st floor. And as the elevator's making its way down, and as he is standing naked, it stops on the 18th floor. And to Neil's horror, as the doors open, standing right in front of him is the man he refused to give directions to. Not only is Neil physically exposed, so too is his lie, is his sin. The man in front of him has every right to leave Neil in his shame. But he doesn't. He graciously heads back to his own room to grab a few towels for Neil to cover himself up. And Neil makes his way down to the lobby and explains the situation. 
And the front desk employee uncomfortably asks, uh, Sir, what room are you in? Uh, 2105. Okay, what is your name, sir? Neil Lambert. I'm sorry, sir. That's not the name registered to this room. We're going to have to ask you to leave. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being locked out of a room that was once yours to enjoy without any clothing? Enduring the shame of every onlooker's scorn and horror and having no way back in but for the mercy of someone else. This was Neil's story, and guess what, friends? It's ours. More than a hotel room. We want back into Eden. We want back into that paradise, back into all being right with the world. We want to return to a place where we are safe, where we are secure, where we're comfortable, where we're at home with one another and with God. And we'll do whatever we know possible to get back in. Get back where things were made right again. Get back where we could get our clothes back on. But friends, here's the reality, the awful reality. We can't get the door back open. This is what the Gospel of Mark has shown us about humanity. We want to access the gate key of the kingdom of God, but we want to do it without the help of Jesus. We want to get into the doorway of paradise with our own makeshift keys or bobby pins and schemes without Jesus. We, like the Gospel of Mark has displayed Peter, declare ourselves the most dedicated disciple. You should let me in. I'll pry the door open by following after you, God, to the death, Jesus. And when the night gets dark and temptations run strong, we, like Peter, pretend to not even know him. We're like the religious leaders in the Gospel of Mark. We believe the door will open for us as we declare ourselves better than most. We deserve the door to open for us. We compare our own measures of righteousness with those who are well below our standards, all the while crucifying the lowly Jesus, calling him a fool, believing we know better how to live the good life. We're like the crowd in Mark. We're like Pilate in Mark. We follow any wind of change that promises a better life on earth as it is in heaven. We're looking for that political change. We're looking for that home improvement change. We're looking for that next streaming service. We're looking for that next vacation escape. And if we can't get the door open to heaven, we're going to make a substitute heaven here on earth. And it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. The door to paradise, friends, for all of humanity remains locked. Because there is absolutely no way to enter into the gates of paradise, the kingdom of God, on our own. None. That's what Mark wants us to see about our humanity. We're at a loss. We're naked at the gate. But in chapter 15, the king is holding the master key. The only way the door will open, friends, is not through your efforts, not through your righteousness, not through your quick fixes. 
the only way for the doorway of life of paradise to enter into and open is through death. It's through Jesus' death. His death is the only opening to the kingdom of God's doorway. And he invites you in that death to enter into the new life he's made. How does Jesus' death, friends, open the doorway to the kingdom of God? Two ways we see in this passage this morning in Mark 15. First, he opens the door, his death opens the door through the substitute writhing in wrath. Secondly, he opens the door in his death through the son resting in peace. First, he opens the door through the substitute writhing in wrath. You see this in verses 33 to 37. Last week, you saw the first half of the crucifixion, 9 a.m. to noon. And that first half of the crucifixion account has shown the depths of Jesus' love for a people as a king. As we talked last week, from the lowest place would come the highest king. There are people mocking and scorning Jesus. And he stays steadfast in his love toward the world. They reject the light of the world. And you see it in their mocking, in their scoffing. And so at noon, verse 33 says, noon, brightest time of the day, the world goes completely dark. As not only humanity would reject Jesus, so too would the Father in heaven. Darkness in the scriptures, friends, is a tell. It's a sign for curse and judgment from God. It's one of the plagues given against Pharaoh in Exodus 10. The latter portion of the crucifixion from noon to 3 p.m. turns from man putting all their sin onto the Son of Man to the sin bearer bearing before God the sin. Jesus, the perfect King, would willingly receive the penalty of God's holy door slamming shut to the face of a sinner. We don't like the thought of God refusing sinners. Why? Because we don't like to see sin for the awful reality it is. We want to soften and sterilize sin when it's us. We'll go headlong after it when we see it in others. But God, in His perfect judgment, He never downplays sin. Sin is wicked. It's evil. It's disturbing. It's deadly. It needs a right response. And that response is everything Jesus is experiencing right now as a substitute for our sin. His humanity for three long, dreadful hours is hell-bent. He cries out the first line of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Hanging naked, Jesus feels the shame and the empty void of hell. Hell is what every human being wants in their sinful slavery. We don't want God. Hell is not mean or cruel of God to give us in judgment. It's fair to God to give us what we asked for. We asked for life apart from Him, and that's what He gives us. And Jesus, the servant, the king, knows the key to opening wide the gate of heaven comes through substitution, through receiving what we ourselves rightly deserve, a door closed in our face. That's what Jesus receives. 
And the crowd misses the reference to Psalm 22. And they believe Jesus is asking, like Elijah, to be rescued from suffering and taken up into heaven. But Elijah has already come in the Gospel of Mark. He's come in the form of John the Baptist, who paved the way for the king not to be rescued from suffering, but announced that this king would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is not calling Elijah He's calling his father, and he's hearing silence for the first and for the last time in his life. Why does Jesus quote Psalm 22? Well, part of the reason I believe it is is that he's trusting that anyone who knows the lyrics to Psalm 22 would start to sing along. It'd be like singing something so familiar that you know how the lyrics go by heart. If I sang the first line, you'd be able to sing back to me the second line. Jesus is so tired and fatigued, not with just physical anguish, but the spiritual ache of being cast out from the perfect source of love, his Father, that he only has the strength to give the first line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sing the rest of the psalm for me. After writhing in the wrath of God, the people, the onlookers, may hear some of these lines from Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me? Why do you not answer? To you they cried and were rescued. All who see me mock me. Trouble is near. There is none to help. I'm poured out. My heart is like wax. I'm laid in the dust of death. Come quickly to help. He has not despised the affliction of the afflicted, but when he cried to him, he heard him. All the ends of the earth shall turn to the Lord, even the one who could not keep himself alive. They shall proclaim this. All of these lines of Psalm 22, the people were hopefully singing in their heads. But at this last line, They shall proclaim this. What is this that people turning toward him will proclaim? Jesus completes the psalm with a shout, no longer of anguish, but of sweet, glorious, triumphant victory. The last words of Psalm 22 are this, friends, He has done it. It is finished. Every sin on him has been laid. Every sinner turned toward him has been saved. That last breath is a victory cry. The substitute writhed in wrath so the door of paradise could be open to all of you. Enter in by putting your punishment upon him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his anguishing face. You must see the separation your sin has caused Christ. You have broken every command of God. You deserve what Christ received. He stood naked and ashamed at the doorway to God so you could be clothed and received. What keeps you from coming in? Psalm 22 actually reminds us of what we're called to do in entering in. Trust in the Lord to deliver you. 
not trusting in your own schemes of saving yourself. Maybe you're working really hard, too hard, hoping the door will budge. It won't. The Lord is not impressed with your 80-hour work week. Maybe you're trying to clothe your nakedness with people's approval of you. The Lord Jesus has zero interest in what others say about you. What only concerns Him is what the Father says about you. Enter into the gates of the kingdom of God by letting the Father say, Cursed of Christ, not of you. Maybe you might be believing, like me, when I would see myself a picture from high school. I'd see a picture from the yearbook of myself, and I'd go, yuck. Maybe you're believing, I'm unpresentable to God. Friends, good news. You are You drink too much, you swear too much, you get angry too much with your kids, you this, you that, too much. It's all true. But stop believing the lies that say God can't make you presentable. Let the naked Christ on the cross be your unpresentable so that he might clothe you with love to run unashamed through the gates thrown wide open for you. Enter in, enter in. Jesus' death opened the doorway to the kingdom of God through his writhing in wrath as your substitute. Enter in. How else does his death open the doorway? We see this in verses 38 to 41. Through the sun resting in peace. Friends, if there was a peak, if there was a climax to the gospel of Mark, you'll find it in verse 38. The book of Mark opens with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. And throughout the book, the Father has spoken this from heaven. At Jesus' baptism, what does he say? You are my beloved Son. With you I'm well pleased. At Jesus' transfiguration on the mount, what does the voice from heaven say? This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. The Father is making clear Jesus' identity. But throughout the book, humans keep botching up who Jesus is. They mock Him as the Son. They don't believe He's the Son until His death. Verse 38, the first human being would say in faith, after seeing Jesus cry out His victory shout, truly this man was the Son of God. Who was it that said that? A Roman. An enemy of God's people. Someone who, one commentator writes, would kill humans the way one might kill flies. He stands before this dying young Jew and says something which in Mark's mind sends a signal to the whole world that the kingdom has come. That a new age is being born. That God has done something, the news of which will spread the globe. The Roman centurion becomes the first sane human being in Mark's gospel to call Jesus God's son and mean it. Yes, says Mark to his Roman audience. And if him, why not more? Jesus, through his death, has brought peace. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility, Ephesians 2 says. 
He's broken down the dividing wall, not only between God and man, but also between man and man, between Jew and Gentile, between slave and free, between male and female. Jesus has reconciled us both to God through his body on the cross, killing the hostility between God and man and between man and man. Jesus' violent death brought peace, lasting true peace. Verse 38 says... The curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. If you know what the curtain was, I'll explain to you. There are actually two curtains in the temple. One marked separation between the outer court and the inner court. Between that curtain, only Jewish men could enter in, but Gentiles and women remained out. The other, further into the temple, marks separation between the holy place and the most holy place. That place considered the throne room of God's presence here on earth, where no one but the high priest could enter in on one day of the year, the day of atonement. We're not told which curtain was torn, but Jesus' death ripped both of them open. Access to the holy God for everyone, once again and forever. No more days of atonement. It's done. It's finished. Where no person on earth could be by basis of their DNA, their sin, their gender, their status, refused access to God once again. The gates are flung wide open. And the first one to enter, friends, the first one to enter is who? A Roman enemy of the Jews. A Gentile, a murderer, one responsible for hoisting Jesus upon the cross. He's the first to walk through. And who follows in that peace processional? Look at the next two verses. There were also women looking on from a distance. Mark is giving us a little foreshadowing of what's to come as we look to the resurrection next week. Women were kept out of certain parts of the temple. But more than that, women's testimony was considered illegitimate as well. A woman's testimony would be seen as inadmissible in a courtroom. But here, Mark makes mention of three women who've been with Jesus since the beginning, ministering to him, learning from him, and witnessing his death that brought peace. Jesus' body is laying lifeless as a dead man, this Roman, comes to life. And who witnesses this? Women. We hear no mention of women throughout the Gospel of Mark until right now. Interesting. We must see in this climactic scene of Jesus' death such evidence of how the Gospel turns everything on its head. Faith is given to a Gentile enemy and witness is given to a woman. Jesus rests in peace knowing his death has made a way for anyone anyone to believe and anyone, anyone to see and witness and testify. Wide open is the narrow gate to heaven. I want to ask us this hard question this morning. Who might you believe is barred from the kingdom of God? Is it a certain class of people? Is it a certain race of people? Is it a certain sin pattern of people? 
Is it people on the far opposite side of your political or your personal spectrum? How have you narrowed the size of the kingdom's gate to fit your own preferences or your own prejudices? Jesus' death brings peace to the entire world, not just to you. As you enter into this invitation brought about through his death, you need to die to your own preferences and your own prejudices where you decide who deserves Jesus and who doesn't. Friends, none of us do. But this is the world turned upside down power of the gospel. If the kingdom gate is open wide for you, sinner, then it must be open wide for everyone. Whether or not they enter the gates, it's not up to you. That's up to the sovereign shepherd who knows his own sheep's voice. What's asked of you is to be a witness that the world might not consider credible, like a woman. To be thought of a fool with a message of God, a God who wore skin, who came down from heaven, who ripped the door open that sin had shut by dying for us, by being cursed instead of us, by bringing peace to us. Jesus cried out and died, resting in peace, knowing his work was finished. He invites us, like Mark invited the persecuted church of Rome, to be a witness to Christ's kingdom work in the world. He wants us to enter in and stand at the gate shouting his, It is finished! It's finished! Victory cry. And as we shout, we're even willing to be shot at. We're even willing to be cursed at. We're even willing maybe to be crucified before that door, before those gates close forever. It is finished! It's finished! Verse 42, which we'll talk about more next week, tells us that Jesus' body was taken down just as the Sabbath was starting. The Sabbath. What does the Sabbath mark? Rest. Jesus' finished work brought us rest. And today on this Lord's Day, we rest in the work done for us. I'll close with lyrics to a song that I think paints a picture of what Mark is showing us here as Jesus rests his body in peace. They took his body down. The man who said he was the resurrection and the life laid lifeless on the ground. And the sky was red as blood along the blade of night. So as the Sabbath fell, they shrouded him in linen. They dressed him like a wound. The rich man and the women, they laid him in a tomb. Six days shall you labor, but the seventh is the Lord's. And six, he made the earth and all the heavens, but he rested on the seventh. He worked till it was finished, and the seventh day he blessed it. He said that it was good, and the seventh day he blessed it as God rested. It's done. Rest, friends. A new kingdom has begun. A new creation is dawning. A new life is just on the horizon. Truly, this man was the Son of God who writhed in wrath and who rests in peace so that you in faith are invited to enter in.
Neil, the man in our story at the beginning, was not allowed back into his room because his name wasn't on the reservation. Friends, Jesus is the only name we can use to enter back into life with God boldly and confidently. Enter in faith through Christ's death that opened the gate for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have made the way. You came to finish the work, and as your body came down from the cross, you rested. And we can rest in a finished work as well. Help us as your people from believing that we need to extend the finish line further that we need to make more happen in order to be saved. And help us, Father, even in our extending the finish line to others, by maybe as parents telling our kids they need to behave better in order for God to be pleased, or our neighbors telling them they need to go to church in order for God to be pleased, or making rules or hoops that they must jump through in order to be saved. Lord, no. Help us be a people who declare to every neighbor around us. We rest in the work of Christ alone. We enter into our salvation because that work was finished on the cross. We ask this all in Jesus' finishing work and name. Amen.